Welcome to Integrative Oncology Talk, where we discuss the latest science and opinions from leading voices in integrative oncology. Integrative Oncology utilizes complementary therapies and lifestyle strategies to help those affected by cancer using personalized approaches and evidence-based recommendations. Dr. Santosh Rao, a medical oncologist and integrative oncologist, hosts this podcast with support from the Society for Integrative Oncology, an international multidisciplinary organization whose mission is to advance the science and education of integrative oncology worldwide. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect views of the participants' workplace or SIO and are not meant to offer medical advice. The information, opinions, and recommendations in the podcast are for general information only. Before making any changes in your healthcare or lifestyle, please discuss with your healthcare provider. On today's episode of Integrative Oncology Talk, I'm thrilled to be joined by Tony Redhouse, who's a Native American Music Award recipient, an inspirational speaker, and spiritual teacher. He draws from the ancient forms of musical expression, the voice, the drum, and the flute, to guide others to a peaceful space for wellness and self-care. His popular programs have been beneficial for uniting the mind, body, and soul in his work with addiction recovery centers, cancer survivor retreats, behavioral health conferences, and those in life and death transitions. During this special podcast, we'll be talking with Tony about Navajo healing traditions, the impact of COVID-19 on Navajo Nation, and how we can help each other through this pandemic. We'll also be joined by Lee Labelt. Lee is uh, based in New York City, where since 2015, she's maintained a clinical practice in integrative oncology at the Columbia University Irving Medical Center, where she designs evidence-based mind, body, and exercise protocols for cancer patients and survivors. She co-chairs New York Presbyterian Integrative Health Collaborative Initiative and teaches the mind-body curriculum for the integrative medicine elective at Columbia University. And Lee is going to talk with us also about all the work she's been doing to help uh, raise money for Navajo Nation, along with others of us at the Society for Integrative Oncology, and how you can help contribute as well. I'm delighted to be joined by both of my friends, Tony Redhouse and Lee Label, and excited to, to have this podcast today, which I consider a really important podcast. And just for our listeners, just to guide what the podcast is going to sound like, we're going to start and just talk to Tony about uh, about his history, what he does, and how he helps with uh, healing people. And Lee is going to help us talk about how COVID-19 has impacted those in the Navajo community. And then at the end of the podcast, Tony has uh, given us some music for healing that we'll all be able to listen to as well. So please listen to the end uh, for that. So, Tony, um, I'm going to start with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my honor. Thank you for having me. Tony, I want to ask you, I know that uh, you're a healer, you're a musician, uh, you have a very interesting background, and just reading about you on your bio, on your website, you talk a lot about that background and how your parents, your ancestors kind of created the conditions for you to develop into this very interesting, you know, blended healer. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your heritage and your upbringing and how that guided you in your development as a healer? Yes, uh, my father was uh, from the Navajo Nation. His grandfather was a medicine man. I mean, I mean, his father was a medicine man. So my grandfather was 
uh, a traditional healer, but my dad uh, raised us in the Bay Area, and he wanted us to really be proud of our heritage. Uh, my mom is Filipino. They met during World War II, which is kind of an unusual story. Um, and she was a honky-tonk piano player, and her family <laughs> opened up a GI honky-tonk bar in, their, in the bottom of their house because they were trying to have raise money after the uh, uh, the war, and they were really hurting for survival. So they, they did that, uh, and my dad fell in love with her. Anyway, my dad raised us uh, in a kind of a traditional way, singing Navajo songs in the house, making drums in the backyard, uh, you know, working with skins. And so he really raised us in that way. And uh, so we were introduced to a lot of his culture, taught to uh, practice his ways. And also my mom introduced us to music because she was a piano player. And uh, so we were kind of, uh, we were kind of really exposed to a lot of different cultural and uh, musical uh, ideas. And that really kind of uh, awakened a lot of uh, creativity in me. And, and also it created a way of thinking of life because my dad used to race, he used to herd sheep on the reservation and really contemplate life, you know, because if you're out there on the reservation and you're herding sheep and you're just, you know, looking at your life and, and, and kind of contemplating and assessing life, you kind of go deeper uh, and you look at the world around you and nature. And so I was raised in that kind of uh, thinking that, you know, there's something beyond just the physical world, beyond cars, beyond buildings, beyond uh, what people are saying, that there's something that is deeper. And so that was kind of really a real, uh, a very nice way for me to be introduced to thinking about deeper thoughts. And the way things appear to be is not really the way things are sometimes. And so it, it really helped mm -hmm. me to look at things in a deeper way and to contemplate life, even as a child, to begin looking at, uh, behind the scenes uh, and really seeking kind of spiritual uh, truths. And this started quite young yes. for you, right? Um, when when did you start kind of playing drums and, and you know, kind of doing some, you know, spiritual uh, work for your, uh, on your well, own? Well, at the time, at I didn't know it was spiritual work. At the time, I, I was actually, <laughs> my dad actually forced me to be on stage, okay? When I was five <laughs> years old, uh, I was actually entered into an international children's pageant in Monterey, California, in an auditorium, and my mom and dad, you know, they made a little outfit for me, a little regalia, a headdress, armbands, a vest, a breech cloth, bells, moccasins. And they, my dad really wanted me to be uh, representing Native American culture in dominant society. Uh, before, even before the, you know, the Black Civil Rights Movement and all these things, uh, Native Americans are not really that recognized as far as, you know, about their culture and some of their beauty. And so my dad really wanted me to be a representation, and he chose me of uh, six kids in our family to be on stage. Uh, I was terrified. I, I didn't want to do it. And uh, but my dad put me on stage, <laughs> and he actually—it's almost like being a little baby eagle, you know, baby eaglet. Before you can fly, you're kind of pushed out of the nest, and you learn to fly, uh, you know, after you're on the ground, and you after you grow your wings. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of my, my story that as a five-year-old, I hadn't even learned to really fly yet as an eagle. And I was pushed out of the nest and kind of mm -hmm. learned to uh, develop my wings in the process. So uh, that was kind of my beginning at five years old with a drum in my hand. 
Wow. And, and Tony, this is Lee. Um, I know you make your own drums. So when yeah. when we talk about spirituality, you've often said you um, have one foot in each world, the earth and the heaven. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. If, you, if we think about what society has done, and I'm not, you know, talking to you know, I'm not talking against anything, but if you think about what modern society and Western thought has done uh, since we have become, quote, civilized, we have uh, relied on technology. We have relied on our mind, our thinking. And uh, so we have tended to categorize, okay, this is heaven. This is earth. This is life. This is death. This is male. This is female. This is my conscious daily thinking. This is my night dreams thinking. And so we have tended to fragment the universe and ourselves even, okay, uh, so that we, we, we don't know who we are anymore because we're so divided in, within ourselves. And we look at the world in the same way. In, in traditional Native American thinking, we talk to our ancestors, okay? There's no, there's no veil separating us to the other, from the other side. We actually can, can ask them questions. We can ask for wisdom. We, we can ask for guidance. We can ask for assistance. Uh, and so we have this open, uh, open door. And so when, when I say to live with one foot on the earth and one foot in the heavens every day, then what I'm saying is that we want to be able to realize that the heavens are open to us, the infinite, miraculous, invisible, eternal, unlimited thought, ideas, inventions, everything, uh, spiritual thought, different cultures are all open to us. Uh, it's almost like walking through an apple orchard. You know, when you're hungry, you just kind of just kind of say, well, I'm hungry right now. And you kind of go, kind of just pluck that apple out of, out of that tree and you eat it. In the same way, the heavens are like that. For me, uh, if I feel like I need an idea, I need a wisdom, I need direction, even for this podcast right now, you know, I'm, I'm just in the moment saying, okay, hey, you know what? I need some direction here. I need to be spontaneous. I need to be able to draw from deep within. And so I just pluck that apple. Okay. So if we go through life and we're going through relationships and we're dealing with cancer, we're dealing with life-threatening situations. I work with drug addicts. Uh, many of them, you know, sometimes uh, they end up relapsing and overdose and they die. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so I'm looking at, you know, people that are, you know, in, in these situations that are very serious and very in transition, needing to change their life. And so we want to make that available to these people that we want to, we want the heavens to be wide open to them. And if they, they need help, they need strength to make it through another day to, to know that it's available. At the same time, we have the other foot on the earth, which is the practical, logical, taking care of business, you know, deal, take, paying the bills. All of those things, we want to have that practical, logical grounding and that wisdom of the earth. So when you have one foot in each world, you have the best of two worlds available all the time. So, Tony, when you say, uh, just from a cultural standpoint, when you say the heavens from from your you know background, does that does that mean your ancestors? Does that mean the spirit world? I mean, tell us a little bit, because everybody has their own idea of what that word means. Okay. So it, it, when I say the heavens, I'm saying that basically it's in the air all, all around us, okay? When we are walking one foot on the earth and one foot in the heavens every day, we're basically living with heaven on earth, okay? Mm. So it's right here, and it's always nice. available, and it, 
daily basis. You know, it's not something far away, mystical, mysterious, abstract, like you got to, you know, you got to jump through hoops and I'm a hoop dancer, you know, to get there. Okay. It's something right here, right now, available at your fingertips, at, at the tip of your tongue when you ask for something. You know, if you go, if you're in a, in a yoga class and you go, oh, you know, it could take you to that place. Uh, you know, so we have these practices that actually can take us there. And all it takes is just the thought, you know, uh, it's not a long drawn out process. And so when I'm talking about the heavens, uh, it includes everything. It includes ancestors. It, it includes uh, the ability of your, your puppy dog to talk to you and to say something to you. It, it involves uh, being able to feel the energy of a tree as you put your hand on it. Uh, it involves being able to uh, receive synchronicity in that moment when you need an answer and somebody just says exactly what you're thinking. So all of these things work together in, in real life time, okay? Uh, animals speaking to us, un, us understanding uh, if, a, if a hawk is flying to the east direction right now and it flies right over my car as I'm going on the freeway and I need an answer and I see that hawk fly to the east direction right over my car, it waits for me to come right there in that spot and it flies. That synchronistic event tells me that, that that hawk is telling me, okay, you need to go back to your beginning to the east direction where the sun rises and you need to go back and look at your childhood. So interesting. That is interesting. I, Tony, I love what you said about heaven on earth. And I yeah. know we've talked before about it all begins with stillness. Mm-hmm. And so do you want to tell us a little bit about the practices that you teach and share that bring people back to that point of stillness? Yes. I'm what you might call, you know, if I want to use a term, Native American sound healer. I'm very respectful of my dad's traditions, my father's traditions. He passed away. Uh, I don't call myself a medicine man. Uh, I, I don't really call myself a healer uh, because I believe that each of us are able to heal ourselves. Okay. But I, I am a sound healer. And so I use very simple sound that guides people back to that, to that simple space, that true space. Uh, and it kind of unclutters all the world and our thoughts and our mind and, and everything happening around us and all of the politics and everything else. And it kind of brings us back down to, you know, a heartbeat. When you think about a heartbeat, uh, something as simple as a heartbeat, it can be a symbol of that love, you know, that we seek, uh, that we felt when we were in the womb, you know, that held us close and, and, and let us know that we were treasured, that we were a valuable life, that we were loved, uh, that we were provided for, that we were actually being nourished, you know, when we were floating around as a little baby uh, before we were even formed. And so that heartbeat can be a, a trigger, a positive trigger that guides us back to that place of feeling comforted and feeling content just to be not to try to be anything. And so when we go back to that place of stillness, uh, by the simple sounds like this, it can kind of guide us to a place where we start to remember who we really are and the love that we really are and the love that holds us. And uh, many of us are looking for that today in our life, whether it's in relationships, whether it is uh, trying to find uh, recognition and acknowledgement by people by trying to excel and prove and, and uh, accomplish things and trying to find significance and things that we do instead of knowing that the significance is right inside of our heart. 
we are a valuable life. Is that what you what you're talking about when you say we can heal ourselves? What are yes? What are the different things that people can do to try to heal themselves, and and what is that? What does that mean in terms of healing? Okay, especially working with cancer patients. You know, many times we're facing uh, losing a part of our body. You know, we're 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 facing even possibly uh, the end of our life. You know, we're not sure if this chemo treatment is going to work. You know, we're not sure if this radiation, uh, if it's really going to do the job. And so we're always in a place of, of, of kind of hanging. And uh, what I'm teaching is holistic. Okay, holistic is the whole picture. And it's the mind, body, and soul. And when you think, once again, that there's, there's not these divisions that we've created, you know, categorizing, you know, you got to be in the mind, uh, you got to be in the body, you got to work out, you got to have six pack abs, you got to, you know, uh, use anti aging cream, uh, you got to make sure to use that dye on your hair, you don't want to see the, the greatest show through. And so society has all these ways of, of really promoting uh, what is beautiful in the eyes of people. And it really, that doesn't really work for us, especially if you're a cancer uh, survivor and you're looking at losing something that's going to take away that beautiful uh, standard that society has. So we want to look at life holistically, our health holistically, and when we, when we can unite our mind, body, and soul with this right here, if we can unite every cell to pulse together. You can feel that heartbeat right now, that vibration, uh, as you listen to that, as you hear it, as you become aware and conscious of it, and your mind begins to think of that heartbeat. And the cells in your body and the receptors in your skin are all feeling that heartbeat. And your emotions and your memories and all of your fears, they all feel this heartbeat. Then your whole life, mind body, and soul unite on that one heartbeat. That in itself is healing right there, okay? Because what my definition of healing is basically being one with yourself. It's not complicated, okay? It's not, it's not like you have to go through uh, training and conferences and figure out, well, what is healing, you know? Or go to a shaman and say, oh, how, how do I heal? If you just become one with yourself, mind body and soul then that is healing that's why when you walk out of a yoga class and you've been doing those asanas and your mind and your breath and your and your hands and your limbs have all been focused on one movement at one time then that's why when you walk out of yoga class you feel like hey i'm healed i feel clear i'm not divided i'm not confused i'm really at peace that is healing so so for us to practice Anything that brings the mind, body, and the soul together at one time, it has a way of bringing us into a becoming a clear channel and becoming uh, one with ourselves. All the chakras are lined up and everything else, okay? And, and so we become one with ourselves. That's what healing is. That's what people are seeking. And so even sitting there, That's beautiful. even sitting there for a moment and just going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a breath and I'm just going to go... And you're just focused on that one breath and, and, and you're sitting there and you're closing your eyes and you're not distracted with everything happening around you and you're getting off the computer and off, off the phone and everything else. At that moment, you're healed. Okay. So if we continue this, 
then we begin to, in this place, as, as Lee was mentioning, that place of stillness, okay? That place of stillness is so important because then we can begin to become aware of every cell in our body. We can begin to uh, become aware of there's a pain in the lower part of our back, and we can become aware if there is something that's unusual in, in, our, in our bowel movements. And then we can begin to look at our health. Okay, we can become conscious of, hey, there's something that's out of balance here. Okay, uh, we can become aware of feelings that we're having uh, that were related to what happened last night. Okay, and we still have an underlying, uh, you know, anxiety about something we said to somebody. And so this, this stillness is so important because from this place of stillness, it's like sitting on that rock as you're herding sheep. Out, the, out on the reservation, and you're being still. And in that moment of stillness, every it, you start becoming, uh, you you have clarity, and you begin to look at your life, and you begin to feel your body, and you begin to hear, you begin to sense your breath. And uh, so that place of stillness is very important. But these simple practices of just pulling away from the world, taking a moment, you know, you know, and feeling a heartbeat, putting your 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 hand on your pulse. Yeah, and so what you're saying is the heartbeat is not just physical, but it's an energy called love. Yes, it's a symbol. Mm -hmm. So all of these things that I'm using are just symbols. They're picture stories, okay? Uh, So when I go to teach Native American spirituality in drug addiction centers, I'm working with meth addicts, heroin addicts, cocaine addicts, alcoholics. And their minds are just all over the place. Okay, they're they're freshly recovering, coming out of prison, uh, you know, getting ready to be sentenced to prison, uh, you know, and and these people are looking for this these symbols, not complicated teachings, not books that you have to read. And when I just walk around and say, okay, feel this, what does this remind you of? And then I start speaking about this as I guide them into a meditation. They understand that. They understand what a heartbeat is. They understand what being a little baby was. They understand how it was before they were addicted and strung out, and before they were suffering abuse and everything else. You know, they understand that simple heartbeat and how important it is to them. And and how does the circle of life play into this? The circle of life is a really beautiful format. It is a symbol. And you think about the circle of life in Native American tradition, there are always four parts that are marked, four sections. Uh, you'll notice in a circle, there's going to be four different directions, what we call four directions. And those are, are representing different seasons in our life. So if you want to think of your life uh, in Native American tradition, even in Eastern philosophy, we think we think in cycles, circles, okay, not, not linear. Western thought, we started thinking, oh, lifeline, okay, I start here and I end over here. Okay, a lifeline. No, when you think of a circle, it continues to go around and around forever. Okay, and it's also a shape of balance because a circle is not a square or a triangle with sharp points on it, corners, hidden areas. It's wide open and it, it can flow freely if we are in balance. So we want that circle to be in balance. So it's a very important symbol. Uh, we can find, we can create balance if we look at the four parts of our life the mind in the east direction, the physical body in the south, the soul and our prayers in the west direction, and the north direction are our ancestors and uh, our relationships. 
all of our relationships. So we, you know, if you have these four areas, just simply look into the circle and say, oh, I want my east direction. I want my mind to be clear. I want it to be open to new ideas. I don't want to be stressed. I don't want to be having thoughts of self-judgment and self-hatred. Uh, I want to have clear, beautiful thoughts about my life and about about myself. And you, so the east direction is wide open and it's, it's healthy. And the south direction is our physical body. We want healing in our body. Uh, we want it, we want our body to be whole. We want we want our body to uh, be nourished. We want to be able to uh, be eating good food, to be provided for the physical direction, to have finances, to be prospering. The west direction is our soul, our prayers, our deepest dreams, our connection with the spiritual realm, and the north direction is is making peace with all relationships, forgiving people, making amends. And so when we have these four areas in our life developed and healed, then we have a beautiful balanced circle. And so the circle is a, a really good format for us to, to even look at our life in a way chronologically. The east direction is our birth. That's where the sun rises. It says, okay, a new day is starting. My life is starting. What happened when you were born? Okay. You look at that and then your childhood and the south direction are, is your teenage years. You know, your strength, your vitality, uh, you start really wanting to excel in sports, scholastic, uh, you know, uh, socially, you want to be noticed, you want to be acknowledged, you want to have a stronger influence, the south direction of development. And the west direction is uh, our middle ages, the sun sets in the west direction also, and so sometimes things get very dark. Many times we go through uh, life changes, we go through relationship changes, uh, we start thinking, oh, do I still want to do this? career anymore. This is really who I am. And we begin to even change our whole life and our career. And the north direction is that place of release and that place of letting go and that place of just coasting like an elder, like, you know, being able to just let go and not be struggling and trying because we've done everything already in the circle of life. So you can look at your life chronologically that way too. And you can also use it as a format to look at every relationship that you have. There's always a beginning. There's always that first spark of love. And it's going to develop, and you can you can measure everything that way. Okay, uh, your career, the start of your first class in college, when you decided that you were going to you know, becomes uh, a certain career, you're going to follow a certain path. That first time you went to school and you and you started taking that class, how was it? How was the beginning? How did it feel? Was it peaceful? Okay, so everything can be formatted in the circle of life, and that's just another symbol that I use. Tony, um, if you're working with you know, people who have had addiction affected by cancer, you know, people in, in sometimes very difficult circumstances. What if, um, I mean, how does this uh, work in practice, um, whether it's the circle of life or how you use music in healing? How do you get people to transition from where they are to, you know, a place of healing? Maybe if they haven't, they, they don't remember uh, a time where they weren't struggling or, you know, how, how does that work in practice? Okay, in practice, like when I do groups for, uh, you know, escape with baggage, uh, retreats, different things, okay? I will take, usually at the beginning of the class, the beginning of the workshop, I will guide everybody into that place of stillness. I will take a couple minutes and I will use the drum, I will use the flute, I will use the voice in very simple ways. And, and I will begin taking them on this journey, you know, where they can actually... Oh. 
So even if they can't remember, you know, that place of stillness, I can create that space for them. Okay. And that those simple sounds can take them on a journey and it can begin to, as they close their eyes, it can begin to take them within. When you close your eyes is when you open your eyes. Okay. These are little things that I teach. And when you close your eyes, you're no longer looking, anticipating, expecting to see something in front of you. You're closing your eyes and you're looking from your soul. And many times when you become, when, 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 um, when people begin to go on this journey with me and I use simple sound, they begin to go inside and then they begin to feel and then they begin to, uh, go to places because, uh, when I guide them with the simple sound of music, it is, uh, there are no, there are no limitations. There's no more time or space sometimes. Okay. You don't, you're not, you're not restricted to anything. And, and, and as you're doing that, I'm talking to people about letting go, letting go of yesterday, letting go of the fears. And so you're releasing all the thoughts and all the things swirling around in your mind. And they're, and they're going, they're echoing away into the distance. And when you go, when you do that, then you have this place of being still inside. Then you could begin to go inside and you could begin to feel the sound and realize, oh, this this feels wonderful. This feels peaceful. I feel like I can uh, go back to when seeing myself as a little child swinging on the swing when I was three years old and how excited I was to kick my feet and go higher and higher and pretend I was going into the clouds. And I was carefree. I was not full of anxiety. I was not addicted. I was not dealing with uh, another cancer treatment. You know, I was I was completely at peace. I was letting go. I was I was soaring into the heavens. And so these simple sounds that I guide them with have a way of taking people to this place. And it can be a practice. Okay, when I'm when I'm saying a practice, just like with yoga or anything else, as you begin to do this more and more, it can take you deeper. Sometimes you may have trouble, especially if you're in addiction, uh, of releasing. Uh, thoughts and and worries and fears uh, and you can and so as you as people come to my classes week after week they begin to become more adept at just automatically they already know to put their head down on the table and to close their eyes and to go right there and so they become very adept after a while and they they actually say that they look forward to that part of my class more than anything else because then they then life becomes effortless you know, they become completely at peace. They can let go of everything and they go into that zone, which is there is no more time or space. And we need that. We need to be able to imagine. We need need to be able to be like a little child that can fantasize, that can dream, that can hope, because that's how we begin to create a new life. And you talked about this uh, just a bit ago also about dreams. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how, you know, dreams can can you know, really inform us and educate us and, you know, how, how it's, you know, kind of impacted you and, and what you tell people about dreams. Uh, dream life is, as I mentioned before, not separated from our conscious daily thinking, okay? So it's uh, another way of looking at life. It, we're given a gift of a dream. Uh, at State Americans, we believe it's a, a vision, okay? Uh, it's a gift, so we're able to see life with a different perspective, okay? We're able to look at it from a different angle. Uh, it's Sometimes dreams are not literal. Many times they are symbolic. So if we can begin to understand and appreciate dreams, 
then it can become a valuable tool to guide us in our life. Take, for instance, if I am uh, thinking about uh, a contract that I have to sign with a with an organization, and they want me to do a concert across the country, or they used to, not right now, but but they wanted me to do a concert before, and they wanted me to sign a contract, and I listen to their voice on the telephone, and uh, I even sometimes don't answer the phone, so that I will just hear their voice and what they're saying, and I will begin to discern who they are just by listening to their voice. Okay, and and so I would I will. I will be thinking that that will be on my mind. Okay. Who's this person? You know, uh, do I want to really do this, uh, this gig? Do I really want to travel across the country? Is this going to be a really a free flowing, uh, you know, coordination with this person project with this person, or is it going to be like pulling teeth? Okay. And so I will get, guess what? I'll ask for a drink and I need, I'll get an answer. So that night I will get a drink and I have a journal by my bed with a pen ready to go. And I've been doing this for years. When I ask for a dream, then I will get an answer. And I will get a dream that will be sim- symbolic. And the important thing about a dream is that how, as soon as you wake up from that dream, how do you feel? How do I feel? Because that's how you feel about that situation that was on your mind. So dreams are basically another facet. What you think during the day is what you're going to dream during the night. Okay? So if you're, if you're dealing with a conflict in a relationship, and you ended on a bad note, guess what? You're going to get a dream that night, okay? And it's going to give you a picture, and it's going to, be, going to give you symbolism, and it's going to give you scenes that may be even very graphic and, and maybe even just really strong images, but that's trying to tell you about how you feel about that relationship, okay? So dreams are a beautiful facet uh, of us to be able to receive wisdom and direction I used to get a dream whenever I do a private session, whenever I do a presentation, I will get a dream before. And it will, it will even sometimes tell me specifically about what I need to share and, and, and how, and even the people that I'm going to be sharing with about that energy. So uh, we're constantly uh, given dreams. If we will take the time to put a journal next to our bed, and that's once again, setting our intention. If we set the intention that I want a dream, give me a dream, okay? Many times we're afraid to to ask the heavens, we're afraid to ask the spirit, and we're afraid to ask for what we really need. You know, many times when we're raised religiously, we got to walk around piously with our hands together and say, oh, I'm, I'm trying to be spiritual, and I can't really, you know, ask for things. I can't really demand things. I can't really throw a tantrum. Well, guess what? I have a relationship with the with the spirit, and I'm exactly the way I am right now. If I'm upset, guess what? They're going to hear about it. I've I've actually told the spiritual realm. I said, "Hey, you know what? I'm tired. You know, I'm doing a lot of work, and you better give me something that I need, or I quit. <laughs> you find somebody. You find somebody else to do this work. Okay? This you know this healing work because I quit. And so <laughs> that's it's great. Like a love relationship. So it's actually this. I have a marriage, and I want I want to guide people to you know relationships with the spiritual realm, where you become so intimate that it's a marriage. Okay, and when you get married, guess what? Or you're in a relationship, you have fights, you have arguments, you have conflict, and guess what? And then you make up, and you're you're more deeply in love. 
Okay, so they know me. The only reason that I'm being used for healing work and spiritual work is because they know me inside and out. Okay, I'm not trying to pretend to be some spiritual this or that. You know, I'm just exactly Tony Redhouse. I throw tantrums. I demand. I'm like a little kid, right? I need this. Come on, I need this. I I have an ongoing relationship. And so this is why they can trust me with this work because they I'm not trying to pretend. Okay, I'm just who I am. You know, it's it's so interesting. I have a story myself that um, before I got into this field, I had a dream. And um, it's so interesting that you mentioned a journal and stuff. I don't know how other people's experiences. I, I feel like people don't talk about these kind of things. But um, I've often, you know, had dreams or, or visions of, of what I should be doing. And I'd have to say that a lot of times I don't necessarily listen, but sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a, a very strong dream maybe about 12 years ago where I really visualized being in this field, integrative oncology. And before that, I have to say I never considered going into the field of oncology. Mm. And, wow. um, and, it, and it was a dream that I, that I woke up to. It was not convenient. My wife was pregnant at the time. I had a job, and uh, I had spent no time thinking about it. I just, uh, I said, you know, early in the morning, I said, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an integrative oncologist. It was that strong, and then wow. it was kind of empowering because I felt like it wasn't a conscious decision per se. It was me kind of getting out of my own consciousness and planning mind and living in intuition and uh, you know whatever. I thought was was talking to me at that time. And it was very empowering because I felt like, okay, well, now I have an answer. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Is that yeah. kind of where what you're talking about? It's it's It can be very empowering and, and uh, give you direction sometimes. Yeah, it is a risk. You know, it, it's like a, it's like an eagle, you know, jumping out of a nest. It, it's a risk. That, that eagle is a, a, a young eagle, teenage eagle, and it's been practicing flapping its wings. And, you know, and many times we're at that place where, you know, the mom and dad eagles stop feeding us. Okay. They stop feeding us because they want to get hungry. They want us to stand on the edge of the nest and consider jumping. Okay. And even, mm-hmm. even mom and dad eagle will fly back, fly by with a rabbit. Okay. And, oh, and you're going to be looking, you're going to be leaning over the edge of the nest thinking, oh God, I want to eat that. You know, <laughs> I need to, and, and, and then that's when you finally, you, you jump out of the nest. Okay, so it's a risk if it's 80 feet in the air and there's nothing to catch you, okay? And so so when we follow our intuition, it can be risky. People can think we're nuts, okay? Society can think you're crazy. You know, the expectations of everybody else is not what we want to live to. We want to live according to our intuition. And when we take that leap of faith, then we begin soaring. And then and then the provision comes. And then And then because we're living in that truth, uh, all the doors will open and the path will blossom in front of us. But it's that, that point of jumping is scary. And most people don't do it. Okay. Most people stay in the nest. And you know what? Because it's comfortable. Mom and dad eagle used to feed you. You just, mm. you know, you, you, just, you just simply, all you needed to do uh, was. <laughs> and mom and dad eagle would come and drop that food in your mouth and you had a nice comfortable nest and you know and, and maybe they put downy feathers so that you have like a pillowy nest and you could stay there forever okay some people decide to stay in the nest of comfort zone 
Okay. And they're adult eagles and they never have flown. Okay. That's a sad thing. And, and it can be an addiction. It can be living in fear. It can be living in, in, in what your parents wanted you to do all your life and living in, and, and, and following that path. It could be a, your own mindset. But jumping out is the most empowering, as you said, uh, and the most freeing thing you can do because that's when you can actually spread your wings and you can soar to your highest dreams. Intuition was what was our survival tool before we were, quote, civilized, okay? When we were ancient people a long time ago, all of, all of us uh, had indigenous roots. We lived off the earth. We, li- we, 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 we were connected with animals. We interacted with, with the weather. We watched the forces of nature. We knew mm-hmm. if there was going to be a storm. Okay, we were very aware all the time of energy pulsing around us. And we were walking into a forest and there was a a flock of birds that flew in front of us. We knew that there was probably a bear waiting for us. Okay, so our intuition connected with our awareness of nature and the natural world and our dreams was our survival tool. And we need to go back to that. This is such a fascinating conversation about dreams, and I just wanted to share that I have had several um, patients with cancer whom I've worked with who have said, I had a dream that I had cancer, and I went to the doctor, and sure enough, I received a diagnosis. So I think this whole idea of intuition and really being able to go to that place of stillness and tune into what's going on in in our bodies is is so profound. Yes. Symbolism. Um, Go ahead. No, no. I'm, I'm, I I I wanted to ask you um, also just about um, you know some of the other work that you do. I know that you've um, you've worked in hospice before, uh, and tell yeah. us a little bit about how you work with people who may be um, dying or in transition. Or okay. work with the families. I I share music um, and sound, and I take them to a place of stillness. But I also do uh, work because of my hospice work. Uh, I'm aware of the need for closure and making peace. Okay, once again, the circle of life. Mm-hmm. If you go around your whole life circle from the beginning to east direction, birth, childhood teenage years, adult years, middle ages, senior years, and then you transition. Uh, all of life is transitions, okay? If you, if you think about life, you're going to go through one transition after another. And relationships are the key, are the common denominator that you're going to experience around your whole circle of life are going to be relationships from mom and dad, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, community, uh, you know, classmates, uh, teachers. Uh, it's going to go on and on. Coworkers, uh, and you're going to you're going to you're going to experience relationships, okay? And and when you go around the circle of life and you come to the end of your life, and you're getting ready to make that big transition, that final transition in this lifetime to take you into the next realm, okay? And you are ready to leave. And you're laying in a hospice bed, and there are some people that I I see laying in a hospice bed, and some of them have this, you know, they have this sparkle in their eye, and they have that little grin, and they are ready to soar. They're ready to go, okay? There are other people that are laying in the hospice bed, and they are all curled up, 
and their face is all gnarled up and they have a terrible frown on their face and they do not want to go. This is a picture of a person that has not made peace in each of the transitions of their life. They have not mm -hmm. had closure. Uh, they have not forgiven their brother who did something to them and they've never forgiven him. They quit talking to him. Okay. Uh, they have had, they have had conflict with other people and they have not uh, had a final conversation. They have not said goodbye. They have not uh, had closure. And so the, all of these things pile up. When you do not have closure in each of the seasons of your life and you come to the end of your life, you are going to have a difficult time. And uh, because at that point, you're going to realize that you never even lived. You were reacting and you were responding your whole life to everybody else. And, and, you, and you never, you were reacting. You were not acting. You were not living. You were not creating your life circle. And so that's why it's so difficult because you think, you know what? How can I go? I never even lived. I didn't even know who I was. I never even fulfilled my highest dream. I never even found my greatest love. How can I go now? And so this is what I've learned in hospice is that we always want to make peace with each situation. And um, one time I was sharing music in the hospice and I was walking down the hall. I walked down the hall like, kind of like a Pied Piper and playing the Native American flute and looking into the rooms and look, see, looking into the eyes of each person laying there. And, and, and then this, this woman runs up to me and she grabs me and says, she says, please, she says, hurry, hurry. My mom's ready to soar. And she wanted me to come play, play uh, Native American flute and, and, the, and the drum to her mom who was laying in that bed. And so I went into that room and her brother was sitting next to the bed also waiting. And so I began to, 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 to share with this woman that was ready to transition. And I started to play flute to her, Native American flute. And then she, she looked, she, she opened her eyes and she said, and she looked at her daughter and she said, she said, I need Phil to go with me. And, and mm -hmm. Phil was her husband who died two, two weeks earlier. She said, I need Phil to go with me. And then she said, he must be sleeping. And it clicked in my mind right when she said that. And I realized that it was two o'clock in the afternoon. Phil probably was used to taking a nap at 2 p.m. Mm -hmm. Just like he always was. And that kind of just blew everything out of the water for me about, oh, you know, when you transition from this world, then you're going to become an angel and you're going to change and everything's going to be transformed. Well, guess what? When you're on the other side, you're kind of doing the same thing you did here. Okay. So the things that you liked, the things that you enjoyed, you're going to continue to be doing those things. You're going to be recognizable because when a person transitions from here, they go and they say, Oh, I see Aunt Hilda. I see Uncle Joe. I see my mom. See, you're recognizable. You're still the same personality, the same energy. So uh, you don't change a lot. And that's why it's so important when you leave this world that you finish and complete and you heal the things in your life. Because guess what? If you don't, that's going to go with you also. So it kind of recognized, I kind of opened my eyes that, yeah, Phil was taking a nap at 2 p.m., okay? And just like he always did on the earth. So we want to be able to, uh, in, in working with people that are in transition, 
we want to be able to bring them to a place where they can have peace and they can actually they can actually go into that place of making peace. I, I recently did a, a session for a woman that had had cancer reoccur three times, okay? And I just found out she passed away. Uh, and I was hmm. heartbroken because I did I did a healing session with her. And I really was hoping that she was going to come out of this, okay? And uh, she didn't, but she healed in another way. So when I did a healing session with her, what I did was I was intuitive and I realized that the cancer was the result. And it was in her ovaries and, and, and it, was, it was in her reproductive area, okay? And so that also signaled to me that there was something that had to do with a child. And she had not healed from her, her 18-year-old son who committed suicide, you know, like 12 years ago, okay? And she had not healed from that. It devastated her. It was, he was her best friend. They, they were like kids. They played together. They talked together. They, she loved him so much. And when he committed suicide, when she went to get him for, for dinner and found him, that devastated her. She was not able to make peace with it. Well, guess what? Mm. Guess where the cancer went? Okay? And, and so that I was able to bring him from the other side. And have him meet with her and have his heart open. And for her using a drum to be able to let her, her heartbeat pulse together with his. And he and I brought him there, his energy, just so that he would be there so she could speak everything she wanted to speak to him. And everything she wanted to say to him because she never had a final conversation. And when you commit suicide, then it leaves both people hanging, Okay. Uh, the person that the transition, they really can't go on and they continue to come back and have visitations and they continue to, you know, things fall off the table, things move in the house because that person is not able to go yet. Okay. And also the person that is affected that's left behind is devastated and they're not at peace. So this is what I do in these uh, sessions is I bring both people together so that they both can make peace, have a final conversation. She said everything that she wanted to from her heart, how she felt, how much she enjoyed him and loved him so much as a little boy, as a child, as a teenager, and all the wonderful times that they had together. She recounted everything, and then she told him how it felt when he, he committed suicide and what it had, how it has affected her. And then she was able to release him and let him go. And you know what? She was able to heal of that wound that was in her heart. And that was probably the most important thing Beside, beyond the cancer, that was the cancer that she needed to really heal, okay, in her life, so that wow. she could go on. And so these these things that I do are, you know, the healing happens in different ways. Sometimes it's a and person. Tony, Tony, you've talked about that too, and then sometimes you use uh, ceremony in in healing, like you know when you talked about your healing session. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about about. What 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 that entails and and how you use ceremony? Okay, I I was uh, brought into to be included in Deepak Chopra, Marilyn Slit's uh, doc, film documentary "Death Makes Life Possible" uh, a number of years ago, and they were they were having us as spiritual teachers and also luminaries and people that also that experience uh, near coming back from from death. Uh, 
near-death experiences. Uh, they even had scientists uh, that had, had had done studies of people that have have, have gone and come back to, to the earth. Uh, but they had me share uh, about my experiences teaching in hospice and, and my experiences about heaven and earth and life and death and that kind of thing. They wanted me to be one of the people included in that film. On the process, I happened to be in California at the time in the Bay Area doing a tour of music and everything. And they actually, they actually was contacted by a, a friend of mine had a friend in uh, Watsonville, California, who wanted uh, me to do a transition, an end of life ceremony, a rite of passage for her, his brother, Manuel, who was dying of brain cancer. And so I went to that house and he actually wanted to be filmed. He wanted to be included in, in the film documentary so that other cancer patients would not be afraid to die and would not be afraid to transition. So he wanted to be uh, an inspiration to other people. He wanted to leave that as a legacy. So I went to do a ceremony on him, a rite of passage, and I guided him. He was laying on the bed. He'd been sent home to hospice, brain cancer, and I did a ceremony on him, and I used a drum. And what I do is I, I use the drum to pass uh, the vibration over his whole body and speak to every cell in his body because I do have the intention of healing also, of, of bringing the person back to a healing place. That's also in my mind that it's possible. And so I use the drum over his body and the heartbeat over his body from head to toe. And then I started to guide him back to, his, uh, back to the womb, back to his uh, beginning of his life and resetting the foundation with a heartbeat of unconditional love, because many times people don't have that, even at the end of their life, they, they never experience that. And so I guided them to that healing place for him to feel the unconditional love holding him uh, and comforting him. And I guided him to ceremony with that. Uh, and then uh, I found out, and so I use very simple Native American rituals, okay, um, that are part of the ceremony, and then very simple sounds, uh, meditations, and uh, also I use my intuition to guide me, and and just like I did before with the other with the woman, uh, that there are things that sometimes that are causing, uh, if, in a holistic view, cancer can be caused by uh, emotions and imprints and things that have happened in our life, and if you can get to that root and pull it out, many times the cancer goes away. Okay, so uh, I, I was working with him, and and then uh, I. You know, I did the best I could, and I thought, okay, that's, I did what I was supposed to do. We finished the filming and everything. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, his brother called me, and he said, uh, Manuel is uh, full of energy. He is driving his lowrider again. He's drinking beer. He's getting into trouble. <laughs> and you know what? I told Manuel he needs to go out and get a job. So here's a person that was dying of brain cancer. And you know what? He lived for another year. And he, wow. and he and he did exactly what he wanted to do. He lived it up, okay? And he, and he got to end, end his life in that way. And so uh, sometimes these ceremonies that I do, they this, this one actually kind of reversed, okay? <laughs> it went the other way. Uh, <laughs> so I don't have, I don't have really the, the say in how these things, how the spirit's going to work or what the spirit wants for a person. Uh, but that was a really eye-opener for me. And so... It's really, uh, as Native Americans, we sometimes call the spiritual, we call, or God, we call the great mystery or the great unknown. And that is a, a nice way of just being humble and saying, you know what, 
I don't have all the answers. Not everything is in a perfect equation. I don't know how the spiritual work that I do is going to end, okay? I don't know how it's going to result. It, it can go whatever way the heavens want it to be. And so I have to always be open to that, that I'm just a tool. I'm another drum. You know, I'm another instrument. And, uh, and I'm just here to touch people's lives, but I don't know how, it, I don't know how the end result is going to be sometimes. Mm, that is so powerful. Lee, I wanted to uh, transition a little bit. And Tony, thank you so much for all of it, the lessons that you just imparted on all of us. Um, oh, you you're know, so really welcome. powerful. Really powerful. Lee, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, COVID-19 and specifically focusing on our Navajo uh, brothers and sisters. And can you talk to us a little bit about how it's uh, especially impacting Navajo Nation and what we're doing at the Society for Integrative Oncology to try to help? Yeah. Um, thank you, Santosh, for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. It's an incredibly important subject. And I want to thank Tony for his generosity, donating his time and his musical talents to work with the Society for Integrative Oncology on various projects to fundraise for Navajo Nation. Um, I just want to mention before I get into the impact of COVID on, on the, the nation is um, the, the projects that SIO uh, is sponsoring with and working with Tony on. So the first one we had was a Wellness Wednesday, which was a one-hour Native American healing meditation ceremony, um, a sound bath. And that is available on the YouTube channel for SIO. So it's available there on demand. And also there's a 15 or 16-minute um, sound meditation that, that Tony recorded, which is, is really beautiful. The, the second thing is... We have an upcoming event with Tony on Saturday, October 17th at uh, 1.15 p.m. Eastern, and it's going to be a special performance. Again, it will be um, part of this Navajo uh, Nation and the, the Native American healing that Tony does. So I hope everybody will uh, join us for that. More information is on the SIO website. So regarding the COVID impact on Navajo Nation, and I just want to, um, in case people don't know, that the, the nation is the largest Indian reservation in the United States. And the reason SIO is fundraising is to raise money to buy protective gear for the doctors and nurses and other healthcare staff who are working at the Tuba City Regional Healthcare System in Tuba City, Arizona. And this, this Tuba City is located on Navajo Nation land. And so we're specifically raising money for the hospital and the cancer clinic. And just the, the, a quick note about the cancer clinic, it opened last year and it's the only dedicated cancer facility that's located on Native American soil in the United States. So it's a pretty special place and it provides culturally sensitive cancer care. And so we're really, really proud to support their amazing work. So COVID has really disproportionately impacted certain populations in the United States, including low-income groups and Black, Indigenous, and communities of color. Native Americans have been hit uh, very hard, in particular Navajo Nation. 
And one of the reasons it's devastating Navajo Nation in part is because of a severely lacking infrastructure on the reservation. There's little running water and electricity. Housing is overcrowded. Uh, there are few grocery stores. Um, it, the, a lot of the roads are not paved, so there's a basic lack of infrastructure with the roads. There are low numbers of emergency and medical personnel, and these are all ongoing issues. Um, so, in fact, just looking at the, the numbers, 35% of residents have no running water in their homes. So this makes washing your hands incredibly challenging. 32% do not have electricity. 60% do not have telephone service, and access to the Internet is uh, very limited. In fact, over half of the community lacks broadband access. The population is at high risk for serious complications from COVID due to pre-existing health conditions, conditions like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, lung disease, obesity, and even cancer. And we know that all of these pre-existing health conditions are, are known to worsen the outcome of COVID-19. So, um, you know, the first case was reported in March, and then it hit the peak in May. And at that point, the infection rate per capita became the highest in the country when compared with any other individual state. So another way of saying that is when you adjust for the population size, Navajo Nation had the highest infection rate in the world. And that's being reported by the, the CDC. At that point, the yeah, that's it's incredible. And so the um, at that time, the United States Department of Health and Human Services described the situation on Navajo land as dire. And uh, they also had the highest rate of hospitalization from the virus of any racial group in the United States. And again, this is um, data coming from the CDC. So uh, at the time of our podcast today, I just checked on the Internet and the Navajo Department of Public Health is reporting 9,597 positive cases of uh, COVID-19 and more than 498 deaths. And 60% of those deaths are occurring among the population that is older than 60 years old. And this is a tragedy. In the Navajo Nation, the elders are revered and they hold the life for the families. They carry on the Navajo traditions, the ceremonies, just as, as Tony was talking about. Uh, they carry on the language, the weaving traditions. And so this COVID-19 is really taking a piece of history or taking a piece of the culture away from the Navajo Nation. So I'm so proud that Society for Integrative Oncology is supporting our initiative. And if anyone would like to make a donation, you can go to the SIO website, which is www.integrativeonc.org, and you can make a tax-deductible donation through the website. And I think um, I'll just finish with saying, um, well, we've recognized the problem, the disparity in healthcare, and how COVID is impacting uh, Navajo Nation. So now what can we do to... Um, to help, to lean in with our hearts and uh, and really come to their aid. Thank you, Lee. Um, and, and if anybody knows anybody else who's interested, um, you know, this is kind of an ongoing issue and uh, they, need, uh, they need help now and then they need help in the future as well. Um, 
Tony, tell us a little bit about how this will really impact people and how, you know, how it will be received as well. I think uh, in a lot of ways, it's going to be something that is going to uh, be a real boost to the morale of the people there. Um, many times we, we feel like we're forgotten. And uh, in that world, people are an enduring people. They have, have experienced a lot of hardship, as, as Lee was mentioning. Uh, many times they don't have the, the common uh, luxuries that we have in our homes to be able to, to live comfortably. Uh, it, it's a, it can be a very difficult life. And so it's really nice when uh, we can come together as, uh, as a country and as uh, people to be able to help one another. Uh, the circle of life is interconnected. And so we're interconnected with all of people, all races, all cultures, animals, plant life cycle, animal life cycle, lunar cycle. And so what we do is going to affect the whole universe. And when we can reach out and help some of the people that are in need like this uh, and just show some kindness, you know, and just be able to give a little bit of, from our hearts and let people know that they're worth it, you know, that they're valuable. And it's also going to help us as people, too, to be able to know that we're helping uh, all the people that we're connected to and that we're, we're actually loving ourselves because we're loving other people. And so I think it's really going to be something well-received um, in, in Navajo tradition and Native American tradition. Uh, giving away is a very important thing. And in this modern society, many times we take, we take away, you know, we take the land, we take people, we take uh, what we want and we don't give back. And so it's, it's a very good thing for us on this side to be able to give to the Navajo Nation, to give to other people that are in need, because it reminds us that everything is going to come around again. And, and so it's something that's going to be really uh well received by the people there uh, on the reservation, and it's something that, that that will make life a little bit easier for them. But it will also benefit us as we give away too. Thank you so much, Tony, and thank you, Lee, as well. I really enjoyed this, and we're going to uh, end with a healing meditation uh, and music by Tony. But uh, I wanted to thank both of you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Santos, for having me. And Tony, it's been an absolute delight working with you the past couple of months. And I've learned Holy so nature. much. Of, I've learned so much about you. <laughs> You've been a blessing. Thank you for bringing me on board. And Santos, uh, thank you for allowing me to share my heart. Thank you. Thank you both.
heartbeat. Because the first experience that we have in life, it is the foundation. It is the love that holds us close. Guiding us through our whole life, our journeys, our relationships, constant, faithful, steadfast, unconditional love, just the way you
taking that time out of your life to be still long enough to feel. 